I never knew what I wanted to do when I came out of school, right? And then when I heard about property, it just clicked. Because I've always watched Ryan Serhant, right? I've always watched him. And I've always thought, right, I'd like to be the developer on the other side of his deals. This is not a podcast to just get you motivated and inspired. This podcast comes with the sole purpose to discuss strategies that we can all implement into our business right now that can increase how much money we earn. We'll hear from successful business people about marketing, sales, recruitment, training and mindset, the key principles to grow a business, make it recession-proof and thrive in today's business world. You know, you're a young guy in business. Where? Tell me a little bit about you, and you give me your five minute bio, as I normally say to folk. What? Where did it kind of start for you? Because right, well, not a lot of young I mean, guys. I mean, it's entrepreneurship's becoming the you know the cool thing. But you've been in it for a wee while now, haven't you? I mean, everybody's everybody's now an entrepreneur in some level. Um, everybody's getting into it. But I mean, I started out so pretty much. I mean, at a very, very, like, I'll take you back to even primary school. Um, I mean, it, was, it wasn't that long ago, to be fair. Um, but basically, at primary school, you know, I, I get a careers advisor coming into me and she's like, what is it you want to do? And I just says that I don't know. All I want to do is own a big, tall building and have my office at the very top of it. That's all I said. And she looked at me as if I had three noses. She's like, all right. Good luck with that. And <laughs> just sent me on my merry way. You got a real job aspiration now, yeah. yeah. Aye, exactly. And it's quite it's a shame that that's kind of the way they are. But you know, you, you so your mind was already in like big things, even at primary school. That's. I mean, I've always, always looked and wanted bigger and better and more. Um, it's just I don't know. It's just the way I'm wired. Um, but so take you back to my working life then. So essentially the, the minute I got my national insurance number, I went into sales. I got a job in a call center selling windows, doors, conservatories, boilers for a company called Wellsea, right? Um, and essentially just learned the ropes on how to cold call. Um, and then I went to finish school and I was still at that job podding along um, and pretty much went to college for three months and they offered me a job to go into a sales rep job. And I was like, how much money can I make? And pretty much as soon as he says the figures and they laid it out, of course, now looking in hindsight, that's a load of nonsense, what they said, shall we say? Um, because, you know, it's a tiered system. And if you're not on the top of the tier, then you don't get a bigger cut of the pie type thing. It's quite um, a common, the direct sales companies, it's quite a common tactic where a lot of sales companies, where what they'll do is they'll talk about, I mean, I suppose if it's there for one person, it's there for us all, but they don't make it as clear that um, that although you commission only jobs, you can make a ton of money. Um, they always, they always speak in riddles. They always sell you the, you know, the top package and all the rest of it. And, um but, but were you, did you did you go out repping then? Were you out Facebook? So I went out for about, I'd say, three weeks, right? Um, I earned a couple of commissions. Um, but the thing I didn't like was I was having to sit in people's houses. I was only, I was 18, right? Yeah. And I was going to be, you know, 40, 50-year-old people. Instantly, they're looking at me and they're like, 
who's this wee dick? That's exactly, I knew, sorry for the language, right, but I know exactly the way they were thinking. They were exactly saying that in their head. Um, so when I'm getting in, and you know, there's some, some appointments, my latest appointment was eight o'clock, and you know, you're, you're getting in, and they're like, pitch them. And you know, a full pitch should take you about two and a half hours before you get to the close. Um, so I wasn't enjoying the whole aspect of having to sit in somebody's house until like, 11 o'clock at night until they say that to me. You know, I didn't like that. Um, and I left there um, after I had a bust up with the main manager. I was like, look, I'm not doing it anymore. And then I was sort of unemployed. Um, and I was unemployed for about three months. And pretty much I was like, right, the only thing I'm good at is sales. That's the only thing I've done. So I was like, right, I'm going to go back into sales. And I went into a door-to-door canvassing job and it was selling the wee key cards you top up at the shop, just transferring people's tariffs over. And essentially, I was shit hot at it. <laughs> um, if I do say so myself, you know, the first week I'd done, I think it was 15 sales. Um, and pretty much just started working my way up. And second week I was in there, they started giving me team members and I started to build up a team. And I eventually had about, I'd say six or seven in my team. And I was earning, you know, about a thousand pounds to two thousand pounds on bonuses and stuff like that. And obviously including my own sales, because at that time, you know, I was I think we were earning 30 pounds a sale, I think it was. And I was doing, you know, minimum of 30 to 40 sales a week. And that was before, and then obviously I got my own personal bonuses and then you got a team bonus and stuff like that. So I was earning about a thousand to two thousand pounds a week and that was I was delirious with the money. I was in cruise and flannels every single every single Friday. As soon as I got my wages, I was in cruise and flannels, spending every single penny. I just yeah. loved. I love clothes. I love shoes. You know, and just I was spending it all. And it was that's the mentality though. Like in those sort of jobs, is you you work hard and play hard type thing. Yeah. So you work hard and then spend all your money so that you work hard the next week. They encourage yeah. it um, because they know that if you if you save your money, then you'll quickly leave there and go start something else. Um, so if you spend your money, you won't, you'll stay there because you'll not get any money to go anywhere. It's, um, a well known, it's a well known, from a sales manager perspective in these direct sales sort of jobs, there is nothing better than a skin salesman um, because they tend to be hungry, motivated, and they go out there and they need the business. Um, I've known, and, and, and unfortunately, now don't get me wrong, it'll probably change in, in, through experience and, and as you go on that, because um, it used to be that with myself as well. I'm, I'm laughing to my, myself in my head because I'm like, are you telling your story, Reese, or are you telling my story? Because it's always been <laughs> very similar, where you would literally make some good money one week, um, and, uh, and then by the end of the next week, it's pretty much all spent, and then you would make some more, and it was kind of up and down and up and down. Yep. It just cycles, yeah. in it? Which, when, you've got no, when you've got no sort of kids and house and major you know, outlays, then it's absolutely great. It's a great learning experience, so uh, no doubt you learned a ton there. I mean, none. see, to be fair, like, honestly, that's the only reason I can sell, is because I've done the cold calling jobs. I mean, yes. I've got such a thick skin now to people telling me no, because yes. every day I was dealing with, ten, but I mean, Rejection. for every 10 doors I chat, 10 of them were saying no, until I got to that just wee GM that was willing to even have a chat with me. And as soon as somebody would have a chat, then I knew I was getting a sale right. because I'm saving them money. You know, it's, it's, I'm no selling. Um, that's what my mindset was. But I mean, friends, I don't even think I could have the brass neck to even go do it anymore. I don't even yes. genuinely think I could. Yeah. Um, 
but I mean, some of them wouldn't even see themselves pitching what I do now. Um, so, yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It's uh, no, you're absolutely correct. Those types of jobs on the phone, literally pounding the phones, door to door, and and the sort of direct sales, commission only. Your weather seals, your penny, you know, your your the ones that we're all aware of them. The direct sales companies back in the day. When, when I was out doing that job, there was there was a big, massive solar panel push. Um, a lot of them have gone. Weather still have been around for a long time. But these sort of sort of don't leave the house until you've got a deal type company. Now, it's not it's not my style. But at one point in time, that was the life that I lived as well. Um, honestly, there is no better education, in my opinion, than experiencing that for a period of time because it's ruthless, it's hard, it's long hours, it's unsociable hours as well. Um, but it is a great education, and like you say, you can take some of that stuff and actually apply it to doing things professionally. And I mean, well, that's it's very true you say that because I mean, anybody like I get a lot of young people, you know, coming to me and saying, "Look, Reece, how did you get started and stuff like that? How are you so good at sales?" I mean, I wouldn't say I'm the the Mac Daddy at sales, right? But I know a little um, enough to be able to close, you know, the deals that I do, and. I'd, I said to a, girl, a boy, and I was like, look, if you can afford it, quit your job, make sure you have a little bit of savings, and get yourself into a door-to-door canvassing job. Yeah. Because the amount you will learn from dealing with that many customers on a day-to-day basis and dealing with rejection, dealing with objections, dealing with closing, dealing with sales techniques, dealing with literally the mentality of to keep going, just that full thing, that is what generates or what creates a real salesman. Uh, I believe anyway, it might be different to other people, you know, and other people couldn't imagine ever doing a cold call. No, I mean, it takes a lot of things to be a great pair, you know, a great salesperson, but you're absolutely right. That really hostile environment, rejection every day, successes, then you're skint for two weeks, and then you'd have <laughs> a great month, and, and that there well that's experience you know that is what kind of creates the character in someone so I agree with you it is part of becoming really great at selling um, and, and I'm talking about sales because sales is a subject that I love and it's obviously something that you really enjoy as well mm-hmm. and probably both one of our primary skills by the sounds of it do you I mean do you still work on your you know it, I mean naturally because I tend to think there's a lot of things that we'll do unconsciously in sales that, you know, you just, because you've spoke to so many investors, you've done so many deals, you know, it becomes quite second nature to you. But do you still kind of hone and like read or learn or or, or try and perfect sales skills or presentations, whatever? I I do, um, to a certain degree. Now, I will never, ever say that I'm a perfect, I'm perfect at what I do, right? But I like to think that I've got my own little rhythm now yeah. that I don't need to change it unless I change what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I've, I learned from, obviously, you know, one of our mentors, Paul, he's got, you know, his strategic selling, like sort of a strategy that he uses, and I use that as my pretty much my gospel. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's pretty much what I've learned in and out on how to talk to high-ticket clients. And then I pepper in some of the, you know, the cold calling techniques and the cold yep. calling closing techniques. Yep. Um, you know, the fear of missing out is one that I play on big when I'm closing people um, and when I'm selling. Um, also, just 
I play on a lot of just creating a sort of a bond with someone so that, you know, their pal, it's like almost like selling to your, your friend at that point yeah. and your friend would never rip you off. And not that I would or anything like that, but, oh, you know, but I, I it's just creating that trust. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, I, they're, the, they're the main things that I really play on. I still, I watch like, you know, I went and seen, um, it was a while ago now, I went and seen The Wolf of Wall Street, um, Jordan Belfort actually pitching. My dad was speaking at an event with him um, and essentially he got me a free ticket to his like, straight line seminar and it was like eight hours and he was just, I w- it's, it's strange because he doesn't actually teach you selling techniques, but he does if you look behind what he's yeah, saying. Yeah. So, you know, he's talking about stories and stuff like that and it's obviously to create that familiarity familiarity with him and then you know he goes into a close to sell something that he has and see if you look at the way he's closing then you look at the way he actually closes so that's how I learned and picked up some of his techniques as well um, I've done Grant Cardone's and didn't rate it you know his was a pitch fest beyond pitch fest um, so I went to the sort of a 10x tour yeah. in Glasgow it's one of the you both of them. So, so I'm familiar with both of them, obviously. And um, and I, and I think you actually hit the nail on the head there, Reese. Is that see if you can go with your eyes sort of wide open and and go. Don't be sucked into the whole hype and and all the you know the all the sort of you know the flashy shit that comes with that. But if you can actually go and analyze they two in particular, there's actually a lot of really good shit there. And and if you can mm-hmm. sit there and analyze them versus being co- and, and whilst also getting caught up in the whole environment thing as well, um, but if you can more importantly just analyse these types of people, um, like you said you were doing, there is some really good stuff. I mean, let's be honest, whether you like them or not, those two in particular are quite polarising characters, but they've done a lot of, maybe some bad shit, obviously, in their, their, their younger days. Yeah, but they've done a lot of, I mean, let's, you can't get to that kind of, success, although we're talking about financial success, you can't get to their level and not be doing something right. Um, it might be controversial, people might like them or not, uh, but whilst they're still trading and they're doing things illegally, you have to admire them in, to some extent. Yeah, no, it's, I love the Wolf of Wall Street, right? I love Jordan Belfort, I love the way he sells. It's very, very, very similar. His environment that he created, it's I just see a lot of it in the way that I was trained and stuff like that. So that's why I latched onto him. Yeah, yeah. I, I dislike Cardone because it's his way of the highway, no matter what he says. Um, but don't get me wrong, you know, I picked up some really good wee golden nuggets yeah, yeah. Um, and stuff like that at his event. But, you know, the other person that I really I, I watch a lot and try and act like a sponge with is Ryan Serhant. Um, so he's, I don't know if you know him, um, he's million dollar listings over in New York, you know, he sells 1.5 billion in real estate every year. He's just an animal, an absolute animal um, in sales. So, you know, he's dealing with 35 million pound two bed flats in New York every day. So, you know, it, to be able to hear him close on how he closes a deal like that and deals with high, such high net worth individuals, then, you know, it's it's... That's where my sort of a cookie jar is, if you want to call it that. Um, oh, no, you're abs- And I think, actually, you've got a nice balance here because you've got... Grant Cardone is, like I say, so there's some little nice things he does, but he is, he's, 
to me is 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 it's very unsophisticated. Well, see, to be fair, his I don't really take his selling techniques. I take his marketing techniques and how he markets well, yeah. because if he can sell out stadiums with just talking shit, really yeah. it is if you want to call it that. Um, then you know his marketing must be fully on point, and that's what I take a lot of my marketing from. And then Jordan Belfort and Ryan Sinhance is probably the selling techniques that I take. Um, I don't really take Belfort's marketing at all. And Ryan Sinhance, just obviously, uh, he's one of the top guys that I really, yeah, really follow. Yeah. Um, you could argue he's a top guy in real estate in the world. No, you're absolutely correct. I, I think, certainly from my perspective, Jordan Belfort is much more sophisticated and he's selling. Grant Cardone, you had to, again, right in the head, marketing-wise, getting these, getting people's attention First class, there's there's no denying that. I like Ryan Serhant, and he's obviously banging your industry. So there's obviously that connection there as well. And mm-hmm. he makes a lot of dough, and he seems to live a very good... You know, he's actually... he's a, He just seems a good dude as well, didn't he? I mean, he seems like a decent yeah. guy, um, as well as being a wealthy guy, running a big business, having a lot of sales uh, sort of attributes that you can learn from. No, I think you've got a good kind of... Um, is there anyone else that you you kind of go, do you know what, I like him or I like that part of her or, or whatever? There's, no, because I try and keep it, I try and keep it so small so that I can learn the most from them. Yeah. And I don't like have like 16 different people that I'm all yeah, trying yeah. to learn from them. I just try and get the three that I really like and then learn everything that they do, everything. Um, so I, yeah. was leaving, I was leaving the door open for you to come in and say Paul and Billy. Well, but that's what I was leaning. <laughs> so just you wait a minute. <laughs> but yeah, so with Paul and Billy, they are the only other two that I have. But they are that's a much specialist. closer. Yeah, that's a much closer I, thing to what you're doing. I, I love, yeah. See, they pretty much they're my mentors, guides, my shrinks. At sometimes my they are my gurus, if you want to call them that, you know, and my Mister Miyagi. They yes. really are. Um, I mean, I'll tell you the story how I sort of met Paul and stuff like that. So my dad's really close with Paul. Um, they've, do, they've done a lot of business. My dad coached Paul at the very start um, and, and Billy um, just on some sort of selling techniques and some sort of online marketing strategies because that's what my dad does and stuff. And um, basically, my dad was going up for a meeting just to catch up with Paul. Um, and I didn't know who he was going up with. I was only going for the free Nando's, right? We were going to Nando's and I was going for the free one, right? I didn't care who Paul was at the time. And basically, this was when I was still chatting doors, right? So I was obviously, I was earning a lot of money. I was walking about with the McGregor, McGregor swagger. You know, I was thought, thinking I was the bee's knees. Um, and then I walked in and just sat and listened. You know, I was eating my Nando's, seen and not heard type thing when my dad's in a meeting. Um, and then Paul just turned around to me and goes, what is it you do? And um, I was like, oh, chat doors. And he's like, he just looked sort of aside and laughed. And I was like, don't, don't knock it. I was like, I suggest you come out with me. And he's like, I'm all right. And I was like, what is it you do? And he explained to me. And the more and more he explained, the more and more I was leaning in and listening and listening. And I was like, Jesus. And then I started asking him, like, right, okay, can you talk in monetary terms? What deals can be done and what sort of a, what you can sell a deal for essentially when you're deal trading and he's told me and I nearly fell off my chair I was like oh my god I was like I'm quitting my job 
So, but I didn't quit then and then, right? Because I was still in the money. My dad's like, you can't just quit your job and go do this, right? You can't. And I was like, right, okay. So I went in to my work and I'd say I lasted two more weeks. Paul agreed. He's like, look, come up to Protege. Come learn with us. I was like, right, I'm coming. Look, I am coming. Just wait there. And he's like, right, okay, the, the door's open for you to come in. And essentially, I worked for two weeks. The last week I was there, I'd done five sales. My head was so out of it. Um, I, was, I was done with the whole environment. Um, a few of my team, uh, my team members had just, you know, that type of environment, very drug culture and stuff like that. And a few of them had gone down that path and get themselves sacked whilst I wasn't in. I took a couple of days off just to chill out. Um, you know, got themselves sacked and I went in and I had like from I went from seven to four team members and I was like, Where's the other boys? And they told me and I never even got a text to tell me like go and sort your boys out. It was no warning. They just sacked them. I would have sacked them anyway, but you know, I'd have liked to have known. And that again was like one of the nails in the coffin and then that week, three of my deals cancelled, and I was like, oh, man. I was, I was, this was a Friday, right? So I quit on a Friday. I went out onto the field, and I was like, I chat three or four doors. I was in the roughest part of Glasgow, right? And I do mean the roughest part. And um, I chat one of the doors, and the guy's like, he threatened me really badly. He was like, look, if you come to my door again, I'll slash you. Like, that's exactly what he said. And... Um, I just phoned the main gaffer and I was like, I'm done. I'm so done. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. I'll, I'll get one of the boys to bring my, my iPad home. I was like, I'm not coming back. I'm not bringing any of the boys back. You'll need to get them a taxi. I don't want my week's wages. I'm done. And he's like, I knew it was coming. Mm. He's like, if you ever leave me, I'm here. If you ever want a reference, I'm here. Go and kill it. And he, that's the, that's the, I built up that relationship with him and he was, he never does that. He never done that with anybody. I knew the way he sacked people. It was, he was so hard and so harsh and he was very salesy when he's like sort of a, made an example of you getting sacked so that it created that fear of him. But he never done that with me. Um, partly because he never sacked me. I, I walked out, but um, in the same instance, you know, he, he never needed to like, say all that and it was good. It created a sort of a, hunger that was still there but he relit that fire underneath me and I was very close to staying very close to staying because he, he phoned me the next day and he's like look come into the office we'll have a chat and I went in and he, you know he's like look we'll double your commission and stuff and we just want you here you know you're good to we don't even like even if you don't want a team anymore I just want you in the office and working um just because he, he thought I was good at the sort of in fact having that me in that environment and getting everybody going I'm just really motivating um but I was done. So the next week, I went on to Protege, um, and I've never looked back. Never, ever looked back. And how long ago was um, that? When was that? So that was, I'd say, two and a half to nearly three years ago. I would be three years ago in August. Right. Um, so I'm very close to my three-year anniversary, if you want to call it that. But I basically, basically, sorry, people coming in, you know, lockdown and that. Um, Essentially, I basically I went on to Protege, right? And then for a year, well, 
Prodigy's probably three years now, right? It is three years because for about a year, almost a year, I never really done anything with it, all right? And I sat in the classroom and I listened. And then my dad went into business with his builder at the same time. And the builder, not his builder, but his, his best pal, who's a builder, I should say that. And essentially, he took me under his wing. He said, look, come out with me and I'll show you how to price up jobs. That's essentially what he said, right? And I learned so much. We done four bite flips together. I've done so much renovation work with them. Um, and I now know how to go into a house and say, right, okay, that would be X, Y, and Z. You know, a new kitchen costs that, a bathroom costs that, windows cost that, obviously, because I know windows inside out. Um, and if there's a key card meter, I know who is where the gas and electricity, because of the color of the key. Um, but, uh, so that's pretty much where I got started. And then I sort of, uh, I was like, right, okay, I'm going to just source for my dad. That's what I thought I was going to do, right? And then my dad's like, you can't, I can't sustain you in a full business and stuff like that. We're just, my investment, you're going to need to go out there and find investors. And I was like, right, okay. So we done our biggest job, right? This is what sort of led me to start working with Big Mark. Um, I love Big Mark. We just, he was almost like a, a, da, a second dad. And who's thing. Big Mark? Sorry, Big Mark is this your dad's ex-partner, your dad's I, business partner, I, I, So he said, sorry, I don't know, I just ran a name there and you're like, who's Big that guy? Uh, Big Mark, everybody knows Big Mark. <laughs> and essentially, he's like that to me, look, um, we're going to do this big one. So I sourced. Um, what deal that we done in Lindsay, all right? So the purchase price on this thing was 450 grand, right? We bought it in cash. Um, and then we done, we were in it for 16 weeks. I was there every single day in the snow. I was sandblasting the house. I was, you know, just doing labor and stuff. I was taking out stuff to the skip. I was learning my trade, right? Um, I think I saw, I had sawn about four planks of wood at that time. Right, and that's about as far as my joinery skills went. Um, I can't. Um, to be so, fair, Reese, there are four planks of wood more than I've done. So fair play on that. Do you know what though? I can lay a mean laminate flooring. But oh, I can God. lay a mean laminate flooring. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my, 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 my skills, I must say, are pretty poor. But uh, but no, yeah, it's, I suppose it's right out in the doors. You learn so much from it. Exactly. You, same sort of deal with the with, with the actually getting your hands dirty at the job. Actually learned a ton as I, well. That's it. I mean, I learned so much from him, like so, so much, but it wasn't for me. I mean, I classify myself as a pretty boy, right? And I, I hate getting my hands dirty. I play rugby, right? But I hate getting my hands literally dirty. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind rolling about in the mud with a bunch of sweaty guys. I mean, that says yeah. everything about my character, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't like the sort of uh, the, the grime and ugh, like just yeah. being dirty all the time. But I stuck it out for a year. He knew I hated it. He knew I hated my job. He seen it in me. Like just every day I was coming in and pretty much dragging my heels. I never thought I would see myself in worky clothes, you know, with boots and you know, knee pads and just bogging jumpers. I never thought I'd see myself like that. Um, but but I'm not it because I learned so much, as I say. But we done Lindsay and I seen the financial stress that it put on my dad because he paid for everything in cash, right? So it was a 450 grand purchase price plus all the stamp duty and the fees and stuff like that. Um, that's including all that. And then we've done a 75,000 pound refurb including fees, legal, stamp duties, everything. So all in all, I think we were about 435 in the hole, all right? 
Um, but we stripped this thing back to the bones, literally to the bare carcass. Um, and we perfected it. I mean, it was stunning. I mean, we nearly moved, like my family nearly moved into it. My dad's like, I, I want it. I was like, I don't, I don't want you to sell it anymore. I mean, the first day he drove up, right? It was on a, it was on a kind of busy main road, right? But in Lindsay, that doesn't really matter because it was a sandstone villa. It's going to sell no matter what. But my mum and dad didn't think that. So they came in and my dad's like, what have you done? He's like, why have you spent this much money in a house? Mm. And he was terrified. But my dad's getting me vision. Whether it's me and Big Mark, we're like, what's that? Who are they two guys? Is it Gavin and what are they, what are they guys? Uh, Justin? Gavin and Justin or something like that. What are they two guys? The, 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 the designer guys? The designers. I know the ones you're talking about. I don't know their names. But <laughs> I can't remember the names either. You had a, a sort of, you had that vision. Colin and Justin. Colin and Justin. Colin and Justin. Justin. <laughs> they, they're, they're kind of Scottish cult heroes as well in the design world and we can remember our own our own sort of uh, board that way in terms of the Scottish celebrities. But uh, you and Big Mark were like the Colin and Justin. Aye, type thing. And he was a builder as well. So he was doing all the joinery work and stuff like that. Um, as well as, you know, basically he was living in the jobs with me. He was yeah. constantly there with us and the two of us were just tackling the thing. Um, he obviously done the majority of the work. I'm not saying that I've done anywhere near what he done. I mean, he was unreal and he, he's what's like a Trojan. He's the best builder by far that I've seen, and I work with other ones now because he moved into England, um, and they are still on the same path, but really, uh, I've never seen anybody work quite as hard as him. Um, it's, so that gave me a sort of a boost as well to see you know, how, how well he worked. Um, but pretty much, we were in 16 weeks, we've done everything, even including the roof, windows, heating systems, two kitchens, um, Everything we knocked down a wall, put in steels. Um, and basically, when we were done, it was just like, Jesus, wow. And that's what made me think. I was like, I'm so done with this as well. Um, I was like, it's time to go into business for myself. So we sold Lindsay and it sold for 595. I think it was 595 or 600. Sorry for not knowing my numbers, right? But no, no. I think it was something it was like that. There's good margin in it for you all. Extremely good. Um, extremely good margins. Um, but I don't think that we would, unless it was someone else's cash, and not, I wasn't so involved in the financials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wouldn't go that big ever again. Yes. Um, don't get me wrong, we done a two bed flat in the West End in Kelvin side in Glasgow. Really, really lucrative, like bit of postcode. Um, and basically, you know, two hundred grand purchase price. We done a twenty grand refurb and we sold it for two five five. Yeah. You know, when I say refurb, I do mean including fees and tax and all everything, that. Yeah. I that is literally everything. And essentially, we made, you know, 25 grand on, or 30, 35 grand, sorry, on just really... A nice, easy, a read, quick... An easy yeah. one. Yeah. I, whether it is, when we done Lindsay, it had... It had a proper sitting, dining, a proper, like we called it the fancy room, right? I had a big sprawling fire uh, fireplace and, you know, the, we, we staged it all as well. Then it had a snug... And in the kitchen, it had a big, massive area for dining and a couch and stuff like that to watch the telly in, um, and a, a toilet downstairs and a utility room. Then upstairs, I had four big bedrooms, um, each with a fireplace in them, you know, and the bathroom, 
was big enough for a, a full freestanding bath and an 1800 shower, yeah. plus a toilet and a vanity unit in it. It was that big, and you still had room to move about in the toilet, like a lot of room. So, I mean, you can go on it if you go on it, man, Instagram and stuff like that, and on my Facebook yeah. and my LinkedIn, you will see it. Um, you'll it's stunning. Um, I'm so proud of it, as you can tell. Um, well, no, but, I mean, I, I know when you when you because obviously, as we've been taught, and and and, and it makes sense is that you should very, and most people do make that, and it is a mistake. Um, well, it's a mistake in some ways, but it, you learn so much in other ways. And, and I think even, like say, Paul and Barry will um, agree with this, that you don't want to, for a long period of time, be doing the dirty work, getting your hands dirty in that way. But it's good to have a good understanding. It's great to tell investors, I've actually worked on the sites. I know how these things work. Um but uh, but but after it's all done and you've put like literally not just your mental strength, uh, mental sort of abilities into it, but you put your you know your your blood, sweat, and tears into it, it is very satisfying to see what it's all mm-hmm. done and it is something to be proud of. There's no doubt, and more importantly, the best thing you get is the knowledge with it. So I agree with you. It's um, I, I can see why you, you know you go on uh, about it because it is you know it's a, it's a big big job and you know rightly so to be proud of it. What what kind of because what I'm really interested in is now that you've done that, you've done a simple flip, well, a simpler flip. Hi. <laughs> in, in the West End, and you know, there's obviously other deals that you've done in between, but talking mm-hmm. about the ones, what is it now that you kind of go, now that I've had a little taste of a few different ones, this is the one that I kind of like. What is there a criteria that you think, you know, this is what it is, or are you Yeah, I mean, so... For right, I've got two categories, right? There's the for other people category where I go and source people properties for investors now. Um, and that category is whatever the investor wants. Yeah. So whatever their budget requires, I'll go get that. Personally now, we only look at two or three bed flats um in the West End. Right. Or or if they're like a terrace semi-detached house and you know your Kirk and Tillocks or your East Brides or something like that. But predominantly, we're looking at two or three bed uh, flats that we were done in with, with Gary at Drive is what we've done it in. And essentially, when we purchased it, it was, went so easy. The money wasn't, I say the money wasn't that much out, you know, it was still a big, massive amount of money, right? But nowhere near the stresses of 530 grand out of the bank, you know. Um, I mean, two Garriocks. You know, then you have two assets that are worth that, you know, um, instead of to your one lensy. So, yeah, that's what my sort of a strategy is and making them look traditional but having a modern twist is really what I'm really passionate about that I sort of a building a brand on the way I design and the way I do up houses. That's what I really want to do, um, you know. So, don't get me wrong, I will go into the big and if an opportunity like Lindsay ever came up again, 100% I would take it and bite your hand off for it because now that we've learned from it, we know how to manage it. We know how to pretty much not, not make do mistakes. What we've done. Aye, aye, uh, yeah. aye. I, I've done the same thing in a much smaller scale. The house, the, 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 the sort of terrace property in East Bride that you talk about, that was my kind of first deal. It was actually my next door neighbour. I'd bought my next door neighbour. We moved in. The house was empty next door. The um, the the I, I see that I knew it was empty. Obviously, I assumed that 
maybe they'd passed away or it had maybe the person was in care. I don't really know. But eventually I seen one of the children or somebody coming up and it was one, it was a son and daughter and it was right, one of the parents had went into care, they were selling the house. And uh, and I was up for doing something with it. And I had I had a, an offer in my mind, but I was a little bit nervous about actually doing it. And because I took uh, about three or four days too long to get back to them, um, I they actually went, ended up going to a, 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 an agent to sell it, an estate agent, but they didn't go to a traditional estate agent. They went to the one of these sort of, technically they are an estate agent, but they're, they're, they're branded as an auction. You'll know the name. I don't want to give them any free publicity. Um, but they're a Glasgow-based kind of auction house. And I'm like, no, I don't want this to go to auction. So I jumped in there and done a deal just marginally more than what I was wanting to do the deal at, but I was just a little bit too slow on it. Again, first deal. Um, and made a shit ton of mistakes on it. You know, done far too much myself. Spent too much money. Uh, thankfully, never lost any money, but I spent, you know, six months, seven months to make, you know, a couple of thousand pounds. Um, the It was a big, big old... Well, I can't say it's a waste of time by any means because I learned so much from it, but... Uh, but quite often in these first jobs, that's what you do. And that's that's why you uh -huh. don't repeat these mistakes thereafter yep. uh, because you do make so many mistakes and you learn from it there. So that's quite normal. Um, let me, so so what, what going forward then, you, you, you know, you're in the property space. Is that now, because you've done a few different things, is that now that you, you are 100% committed it's, to that is, that is your long-term strategy? Right. Yeah, so essentially I never knew what I wanted to do when I came out of school, right? And then when I heard about property, it just clicked. Because I've always watched Ryan Serhant, right? I've always watched him. And I've always thought, right, I'd like to be the developer on the other side of his deals. So that is where we're going, all right? But I'm very much so that I don't like using my dad's funds, right? I don't like getting now, nowadays because I've started to build up a reputation of having investors and stuff like that now, right? So don't like actually using his funds anymore. I like using other people's. And I set my, that's what essentially I set myself out as when I left Protege and I left working with Big Mark, um, that guy that everybody knows. Um, essentially, I went and done and made my LinkedIn so, so strong that I would be able to just go on. That's where, obviously, for anybody that doesn't do property, that's where every investor that I ever get lives, um, unless it's family and stuff like that. But, yeah, I went on there and just created a sort of a, a brand around myself and just worked at it. And, you know, it's... I let it slip, and it's only at about 14,000 connections now, but, you know, when I was growing it and stuff like that, it was it was growing at about 1,000 a week. It really was. Because here's another great point for a lot of people watching. I mean, I think everybody knows, I mean, certainly you and I in the group that we associate in know the power of LinkedIn, but for somebody out there that goes, well, LinkedIn, they think LinkedIn's just like somewhere that business people, it's like the Facebook for business folk. It's obviously much more than that. How did you how did you create your brand? How did you grow your connections? So essentially, right, this is how it's cheating. And, and by the way, I know we, we could take five hours up on this subject, but I know. Give, give the highlights of some of the things. Right. That I was so essentially right. Essentially, I, I got sat down. I know I keep saying essentially. Sorry, right. I sat down on my LinkedIn and I was like, right, I'm going to go through people that I know are good in the property game. 
and I just took the bits that I liked off their profiles. All right, I tell everybody to do it because if somebody, if it's working for somebody else, chances are it'll work for you, right? Yeah. Um, so I took a wee bits and bobs, and you know, and I got Paul to help me, and Billy, and my dad obviously helped me. You know, my dad's just shit hot at online marketing and shit hot at LinkedIn, and then LinkedIn used to be weird, all right, and it used to be. I say used to be as if it was like years and years ago, but at the very start when I got into LinkedIn, you used to be able to just tap on connections, like constantly tap, 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 tap. And I had unlimited and you could tap rapid, like, you know, maybe do a couple in a second. Because yes. um, it would keep on popping them up keep, and it was like a conveyor belt. So now they've changed the algorithm and they've made you sort of a what? sit there... I, I, which is, it's beneficial to me back then, but it's, it's harder now. So what I would say is they've limited it to a hundred people a day, right? So what I would say is do your hundred people a day, grow it, connect with as many people as possible and put out content at least once a day, either in the morning or about six o'clock at night, because I, I, that's when I post and when I post, you know, I want either me to be the first thing they wake up in the morning that they see. Because what's the first thing everybody does is they go into their social platforms in the morning. Or I want to be the last thing they look at when they go to bed at night. Because at six o'clock, people are having dinner. They're probably putting kids to bed and stuff like that. So by the time they look at it, I'll be there. I'll be like, hello. Yes, remember me. Um, so that's what I do. Um, I've got certain times and strategies that we use and stuff like that as well. Um, and posts, strategies and stuff. So yeah. Um, but... I'd say and sorry, Reese, you, you apply that strategy not just on LinkedIn, to be clear. You also, Facebook, oh, for example, and, and yeah. other social platforms. So some of those techniques is, is, is you, know, you would apply across the board. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, my, my, my Facebook is nowhere near what my LinkedIn is. And my Instagram yeah. is, for as I say to everybody, if you want to look at pictures of me and my girlfriend on holiday, go on to my Instagram, right? That's where I live. That's, that's my private stuff. Yeah, that's not I, me, those clients. Um, yeah. And that's your own personal thing and all the rest of it. That, that's fine. I mean, we're all out of our own personal um, profiles as well. But your, your primary source of putting your shit out there is LinkedIn. Yeah, I've seen your content. It's very good. Obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff going on in the mind there that you talk about. And we've obviously both been well-trained by people that really know it very well. But w- w- where does the inspiration come for your content? Honestly, we right. wrote, see on that, that is one of the, key, the things that when I speak to people, they're like, I just, I wake up and I don't know what to talk about. Like, I don't have anything interesting. And it kind of, it gets very frustrating. But and listen, we all go through little mind blanks, but I'm talking about people can go days, weeks, possibly never put anything on because they think they can't think of anything. But what is your strategy when it comes to content? So what, basically what I do is I go on, right, this is a dead easy one, and everybody has Twitter nowadays, right? So go into trending, see what's topical. If you want to have a chat about a topical subject, then Twitter is the best place to go. Type in news, obviously now, with the yeah. news, you won't get any other news other than coronavirus. So that's out the window. But definitely Twitter is bang on for what's topical and getting a, a situation to talk about, a, a yeah. subject to talk about. Also, personal life, just have a chat. People like to know what you're up to. Um, especially on LinkedIn, if it's business-wise, people love it. They love hearing what you're up to that day. I mean, yeah. today I put out a post on LinkedIn and it was just saying, look, I ran with calls. I'm recording a podcast today. 
and you know who says lockdown is quiet right that's all it says and already i'm at about 40 likes and i only put it up an hour ago you know um and yesterday i put up a post about i can't even remember now but it got like ten thousand views you know and that's ten thousand eyes on my profile you know that's what the way i look at it Um, you imagine doing that every single day or, or multiple times a day potentially it just compounds and become well you're talking about brand awareness that's where you get i think people because some people don't realize that it's see to build that kind of it takes a lot of hard work that way you know it needs to be it can't it be, be, be consistent to be consistent um don't get me wrong right I, I, i've i let my linkedin slip as i says scott right and i says look i'm going to kick it back up now i'm sick of it i was not getting a lot of leads and I only was posting on LinkedIn business stuff, right? And it was only, look, come contact me now, is my call to action post, as I call them, all right? Usually what I do is 80% is general chit-chat, talking about topical situations. 10% will be telling people stuff that I'm doing in business, not directly telling them to come work with me. And then the other 10% is a direct sales pitch. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, would you like to see the returns that my other investors are getting? Come work with me. Yeah, got you. Got so you. if you stick to that strategy and say, for instance, you know, the way I do it now is either on a Friday or a Monday I do it is my call to action post. But the other days I split it up. So three days will be general chit chat and then one day will be, you know, talking about, you know, what I'm doing that day and yeah, just, meetings that I've got. Or, you know, meeting that I had, which went well, and just talking about why it went well and stuff like that. I know it sounds so mundane and so boring, and it is, but people on LinkedIn love it. I mean, I would much rather be talking about, you know, rugby and the UFC and talking about what I had for my dinner. I mean, they're the subjects that really matter to me, let's be honest. Um, rugby, dinner, and UFC. I, I quite <laughs> like those things myself. Um, here's one for you. What, what do you... Um, you know, what, what I mean, because obviously we've spoken about this before the podcast or we touched on it when we had a brief chat. Um, and I think we're all kind of aware of it, certainly people that are involved in the property, but the kind of negativity on the property, well, primarily the property education world, but property people in general. What, what What's your thoughts on that? So property people in general, Everybody thinks that you're just out there to grab money and you're a bad person because you're in property and you're there to scam people and you're there to take people's livelihood in their houses and you're a bad guy. Mm. A load of bullshit, right? I just call it as it is. It's a load of bullshit. But on the property education side of things, geez, wow, it's so bad. I mean, if you say that you've been educated by a property mentor or a property guru, as they all call them, and bad things, and, oh, you ain't doing business with anybody that isn't property educated. Let me be honest, right? Anyone that hasn't done, if you push yourself as a property education guy and you've done the course, that's why none of my sort of uh, things say that I've done the the course, Um, you know, Paul, I had a chat with Paul and Billy and that, and he's like, don't put it up. You know, yeah. and they, they say that to me because there's now a sort of a clique, if you want to call it that, of people that think they're better because they didn't, they, they learned it on their own. You know, they yeah. don't need to be taught. They, t- they taught themselves. They're so good. They're amazing. Um, and 
essentially, you know, what they've learned over the last 10 years, because I learned it in four days, they think it's wrong. Yes. It's not my fault that it took you 10 years to learn what you learned, <laughs> you know? Um, it's, it's, but, there's a lot of negativity going, it's just interesting. Absolutely. Do you, do you, are you finding that that or anything associated to that is kind of, kind of, put you off your game, kind of rattled you a wee bit, or the industry or other folk, which is, well, you know. So, yes and no, right? So I don't, I now don't post in the likes of, so there's a group called, I don't know, should I name it? Ah, fuck it, I, just name it. Uh, so it's Spin, right? I think I, it's I, Scottish I, I, people. I, I heard you talking about it actually on the last get together, and I must admit, I was oblivious, because I really, I am a, not a consumer of much content online unless I actively seek out. I don't, you know, like these groups, if actually groups annoy me, um, just because I feel there's, I would rather just speak to you and get the good stuff from you than see go that, yeah. to a generic group and, and see everybody's stuff. And sometimes it can be great, other times it's a lot of shite. And I'm not meaning, I mean any group, but that spin, you, you'd mentioned that, I, I don't even know who they are, I'll be honest with you, but um, you felt it was just, it was just an attack on certain people. Oh, it's just, I mean, there's some people writing, they'll be they'll go on this, it's S-B-I-N. If anybody wants a laugh, go on it and have a look. It's, I might just do it for fun. Go on it and have a laugh, right? So one day, I put up a post, right? I was sick of seeing it. So every day, right, people put up posts, right? And some people won't be from education. Some people will be from education. The people that are not from the education, they get, oh, it's a great deal, well done, pat your back, you're amazing because you didn't go on a course. The people that go on the courses, they go on it and then they say to them, I can't believe you've done a course. Is that another scam? Can't believe you fell for it. You know, your, yeah. deals, are, your deals are shite. <laughs> Pretty much that's what their mentality is. So one day I went on to spin and I was like, look, I called everybody out. I was like, do you know the negativity in here? See if you focus less on where people were educated and more. I mean, if you go on, I might, I think it may have been the week of dinner, right? But I got about 200 likes and I'm not even kidding, more comments than I could care to count, right? 95% of them were all in favour ah, of what good. I was saying, good. right? But then the clique came in and, oh my God, the attack that they'd done, it was unreal and it was, it was as if they'd sent it into a group chat. Mate, this is what I think. I look at what somebody's posted in here. Look at this. They went, right, okay, let's go attack. And it was, it was funny because I like it, right? I like stirring the pot. That's yeah. what I like. Sometimes when I'm bored, I'll stir the pot a bit and I'll give myself a bit of entertainment, all right? But one guy came on and he's like, you know, show me the deals you've done. Show me them. And I sent him, do you know what? I private messaged him. I was like, okay, there's Lindsay. There's Gary. These are just my personal ones, by the way, because I can't, I'm not going to show you my investors ones. Right, there's Lindsay, there's Gary. There's the one we've done in Cowden Beef. There's the one we've done in Alexander Parade. There's the one we've done in Crow Road. Come at me. If you want further details, I'll go and show you the numbers as well. And he's like, I was like, now your turn. I was like, what have you done in the last three months? And he sent me one bite of it, one bite of let you done. I'm not knocking it. Some people move at their own pace, all right? I was like, that's great, mate. Well done. Now, what is your point? Yes. You know, at the end of the day, he almost didn't have an answer because he thought that I was full of shit. And 95, by the way, 95% of people in property are full of shit. They genuinely are. But there's that five, and 
I'm all for it. I'm from that sales background. I'm there. Fake it till you make it. And it's just purely marketing. I get it. I get why people do it. All right. And, you know, but coming at the other end, they think that this is the reason why it is, right? They think that everyone from that, the courses are all full of shit. And because they've done it themselves and they're not, and they're the purebreds, they're the pure hearted. Real property people, not none of these. Aye, aye. I'm now a property expert. Like you say, there is, I think that's the key thing there. They, 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 They kind of, accuse or suggest that everybody that attends exactly. one of these courses is of that way and there's some people out there that have never attended a course that are full of shite and then there's some people that are that are um that that, that talk a lot of nonsense and do bullshit yeah and and that's where your due diligence comes in to weed through that and not fuck it up probably more importantly what because you touched on it um and it's a subject i feel quite passionate about i, I kind of get bored of um you know how when you see somebody that's putting stuff out on LinkedIn and they get some negative, or they get some pushback, negativity, someone disagreeing with their ideas and they call them, you know, haters, they call them, you know, like just negative people. It might be negative, it might be a hater, it might just be their point of view, I don't know. But people with a, a, a sort of the a, a different idea to what your idea is, how do you, because no doubt you'll get them. What do you think of that and, and how do you deal it's, with that kind of bullshit? I'm fully open to it, right? And everybody, I'm a strong believer in everybody's allowed their opinion, right? Because I've got some really weird opinions, right? <laughs> and that's the reason I'm maybe like that. But, you know, I'm fully, fully open to other people's ideas. It's when they come on and directly attack you, right? I don't stand in you go on my, if you go through my LinkedIn post and you see some of the comments, right, you'll have a good laugh as well because I have fun with haters. If you want to call them that, maybe it is some other people with other opinions. But I call a, what I call a hater is they come on and say, basically, no, you didn't. That's, that's what my hater yeah. is, right? They come on and say, prove it, or they'll say, or just because you went on a course doesn't mean you're a property guru or didn't make you distance. You, you'll know what they are, right? If you're in property, you know the type of person I'm talking about. But they, I just deal with them in a way, because I'm not that I'm funny, I'm not saying that, but I deal with them in a very quick-witted way. I'm very quick on my feet when it comes to people throwing objections at me. It comes back to the sales. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just love having fun with them. Um, and some people take it, and the, you know, the, it's all part of the, the banter, if you want to call it that. Some people get deeply offended when I go on LinkedIn and I and I'll I'll, I'll shut a hater down and no, but I can't believe he spoke to you like that. I was like, well, don't come on my post and give me some shit <laughs> if you if you don't want shut down and me telling you that your ideas are full of shit. <laughs> don't come on my post yeah, and see me. the thing is as well. That's what I say to them is look if you don't like my content, just unfollow me or block me. Move on, yeah, move on. Yeah, I. you know it's what is the difference between one or two connections? I don't care if you leave my connections i've got fourteen thousand others that will happily look at it yeah yeah you know um interesting so so you you're you well one you welcome other opinions do you do you block them do you uh you've already no, seen, you, you go i just back keep them, them there Good. Aye, that's fine. i'll go back to them and because i like i like other people's i almost make an example of them right like it's terrible too. saying that i but i make an example of them look if you're going to come on my posts then you're going to get shut down Right, and I leave the comments there. I don't delete them because you dealing with it in an open space, 
is far better and a lot of people just ignore it and that's why it keeps up. If you go on and directly deal with it there and then and call them out on calling you out, it leaves them there standing there with their pants pulled in and they're embarrassed. You know what, Reese? I'm so, so glad you actually have that approach because that is exactly what I believe you should do. Um, I actually think it says more about them than it does you from a negative way. So if they're on saying, well, actually, I think you're full of shite, Reese, and you've never done any deals. You've been on a four-day course and blah, 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 blah. Uh, you're just taking people's money, you shark, and, and, and scamming them, and you'll probably lose it all. Um, that they are, some people would obviously say they're hating, they're negative, they're attacking me, block and delete those comments. I think that is just the perfect example. Because, listen, there's other people thinking that, but they just mm -hmm. don't go on and see it. And I just think it's the perfect opportunity to actually go, well, actually, let me just be clear on it. You're right, there is a lot of that out there. But for me, this is my deals. You talk about Crow Road, you talk about all these different deals, the successes you had. I just think it's great content. And it says more about you that you've left it there for everyone to see because everyone's allowed their opinion, like you said. And then you put some other content out there. Um, and, and at times it can be good fun as well. But I, I, for me, you just, and you learn a lot about it because this is what people are thinking. But they might just not be typing it. I think if you make an example of it in a professional way, um, it's actually, it goes for you. So I'm glad that you've actually brought that up. I, I, the reason being is that when you put yourself out there on social media, you're bound to get it. And I think people are too quick in jumping in and going, oh God, I better delete that in case a client sees it. I think you need to have, there's actually almost something about, see if it's just all five-star reviews, there could almost be something slightly false about it as well. Well, that's, what, that's the way I am, you know, and if, don't get me wrong, there's been some deals, there's never been a deal that we've ever lost money on, right? But there's been some deals that's happened and right at the very start, it doesn't happen anymore because I do enough due diligence now, but right at the very start, there's some deals that, you know, Maybe the rent was £25 less than what I said it was going to be and stuff like that, right? Shit happens. But I'm fully upfront and honest with my investors and I tell them that and I tell them some of the stuff that's happened and like say for instance some of the problems that happened and some of the refubs that we've done and stuff like that because I like to tell them because it can happen to you too. Yeah. You know, you're coming to invest with me. You need to know that when we're doing a refub, if we scrape back the ceiling, with, with it's got that wood chip on it and they'll like for instance one of the jobs we've done right in Garriok I was scraping the ceiling had wood chip on it obviously it had been super glued on um, and I scraped it we left the steamers on right went to McDonald's came back beautiful day we sat outside longer than what we should have the steamers were on for about two and a half hours right but I went in I was like oh this is coming off the easy and it was scraping beautiful Mwah, brilliant Right, and I got to a bit and I had a wee bubble underneath it. I was like, that'll be fine. Right, it's just probably the water that's underneath it. Right, I scraped. And powder came down on my face. I was like, oh, I don't know what this is. I just kept screaming anyway. I was like, whatever. All right, I scraped it. I will. Then I would say a bit of ceiling came down on my head. It was all that laughing plaster type thing that just thick just powdery plaster fell on top of me, big clump of it, um, a metre by a metre, nearly knocked me out. I was on a set of ladders as well, so it was obviously the double-heighted ceilings and stuff like that. But 
that was a cost that we never could have anticipated. You know, some of our ceiling falling down. Don't get me wrong, it wasn't a massively expensive, it was just a wee bit of plaster that needs to be put on. I tell you, see if I was going to work with someone, I was going to invest my money with someone, and I see if I was going to because, of course, I do my own stuff. Um, but if I was going to, and, and that's a great example, and actually having someone that's dealt with that's a great example. Because let's assume, please, I, I might, although you've had some things go wrong in the past and you know, thankfully now that happens very rarely, if at all. I'm actually for someone, the likelihood it is, well, something like that will happen again. And as, a, as someone that does invest with other people, granted more in businesses than in property, I invest in property myself, but when I invest in businesses, um, I actually want someone like what you've been through, who's actually, because I don't want someone that goes, this is the first deal I've done, Reese. I've done made profit in every single one and I've never, I, I mean, I'm so good at my due diligence that I never actually go wrong. I'm like, oh, right, so see the first time you do go wrong because it will happen. Um, mm -hmm. Are you experienced enough to deal with it? So I actually think someone that's got a little bit of a, uh, had a little bit of a, a rough sort of start and they've had different rough patches, but they've came through that and they're still going. To me, that's actually far more appealing to put my money with them than it is uh, with someone that has like had maybe ten deals in a row that have all went really well. Um, yeah, but I mean that's it. I mean that's why I say it, Scott. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, I know that it's in property. Just everyone that invests, right? And if you're ever going to invest in property, and it doesn't need to be for me or anything like that, right? But if you're ever going to invest in property, know that by the law of averages something in your properties will go wrong at some point Absolutely. Right? even if you're investing in buy to lets where you're not doing any refubs and stuff like that you buy the property two years later the boiler packs in by no fault of the tenant no fault of yours shit happens so i can't put that into the costs you know but i always like to tell people because you know i like to not not scare them at all by any means because property shouldn't be scary but i like to let them know just what can happen because if you go into investing in property with the mindset that it's as safe as houses literally you're you're setting yourself up for failure you really are yeah. whether it's when i when i now invest when i go to my meetings and stuff like that um, and somebody contacts me that wants to invest with me i'll say to them right I'll take them through their investment criteria. I'll get everything I need to know to be able to go start working for them. They'll pay their deposit with me and stuff like that. And then I'll sit and we'll have a chat and it will be throughout the meeting and stuff like that, I'll tell them and stuff. But I'll let them know some of the deals we've done, some of the problems we've incurred, you know, and just past experience. You know, I've done that many and sourced that many deals now that the law of averages says that something goes wrong, but now, and only now that I've learned so much in the last three years can I safely say that I genuinely know if something's going to go wrong. I know just from looking at the house, from looking at the market, looking and speaking to the likes of your estate agents, your letting agents, if a property is not going to get rented out for a, a period of time. I do all of that due diligence now in the background before I even take it to an investor. Yeah. So I eliminate all possibilities to the best of my ability of something going wrong. Yeah. But as I say, 
I can't foresee a radiator valve busting. Or I can't foresee, you know, fucking the worst weather we've ever had in the last three years and your roof starting to leak. Yeah. You know, that's just stuff that people can't for like foresee. You know what you do do? And, and, and from a sales perspective is when you're talking to that, when, you, when you're explaining that to clients, um, and you're right, you can't foresee it, but because of your experience, what mm-hmm. you can promise them you'll do and what you can guarantee them you'll do is the minute that the roof goes, the boiler goes, you are I'm so... Ready to fix it. Immediately, you've got the experience to deal with that. And that's the kind of person I want to put my money in. I want, you know, so see, when I, I've invested in some businesses recently, I've, I've had some people where they've had some failures. You know, they've went... Effectively, have went bust, had problems... Not quite bust, but they're at, they're at the point where all revenue has stopped and they've got, you know, they're not solvent any longer and they need mm-hmm. support financially. And um, and after obviously doing your due diligence, I want to know what they've kind of learned, and, you know, because I don't want somebody that's back when I was starting out in, in my own business, it was solar panels, it was the en- renewable energy. You could have been a dumbass and made money out of it. And people actually get caught up in their own hype. They think they're so good at it. Um, and then when they come against some challenging times, they don't have a fucking clue what to do. Mm-hmm. Again, some of you've said there is that you wear and you can immediately respond because of all these sort of sort of trying times. I mean, see somebody that can come through this virus pandemic shit and still have a decent solid business thereafter. They've done something right, you know. They've weathered the storm and they're still been able to trade. That's the kind of people that I want to network with, be partnerships with invest in you know people that have had that type of experience so the fact that you've had some rough sort of deals although they're relatively minor um that's good that's 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 far better than you know somebody out there that's just had a nice easy run at it you know you've got far more experience than than most in that that respect mm-hmm. um all right then well, well let me just before we finish up then how's um you know in terms of because ultimately, at the end of the day, we're only just people. So how are you kind of staying fucking hyper-focused in your task? What are you doing now to get you going forward? What's the doing to make sure that you come out of this whole shit fucking good and stronger? Well, now, the hyper-focus and the complete focus I have and the 100% focus is on bringing in new clients. The reason we're doing that is because... I've spoke to so many people, so many economists, so many people that follow the market so much that there is about to be a recession and best case scenario, 2008 is best case. Worst case, it's like Great Depression level, yeah. you know? And at that time, if you have never invested in property before and you need that little help on finding the properties at below market value and stuff like that, then in a time that there's a massive recession, it's where you create and people with money create generational wealth. Genuinely is. So buying properties when there's a recession, you're able to get them at 30% below market value. I'm not saying that, but just as an example, right? You can. There's um, bigger deals or smaller. Deals I, right? Yeah, but again, and this is the thing with dealing with somebody that's yourself, is that you, although everybody and anybody can do it, see dealing with a professional, you've got a much better chance of being successful at it than, you know, if you've exactly, got some yeah. cash. Um, if you've got some cash um, and you're wanting to, like, go into that world of property, even if it's just your first couple of deals, I would suggest also working with someone like, say, yourself, 
uh, in order to get some sort of, you know, partnering with people when you're going into something new is very, very powerful. So uh, I think that's going to be, for people in your, your world, is going to be um, a, big, a big sort of, for the people that are good, for the people that are still here, we'll make it out the other side, working with people like you will be the best thing for aspiring investors. Well, see, that's the thing. The 99% of the people I work with have never bought a property before in their life. They've never invested in property before. They don't know um, strategies to use and stuff like that. That's why people come to me because I start, the, the main business that I do is I build people portfolios that cash flow, you know, each property positive cash flow of about 200, between 240 to £250 per month. Yeah. Um, we always try to aim for at least 15% below the market value. So if I can aim and if we can achieve that, then the portfolio that we build you will be second to none. Um, and that's my sort of a everyday task is to get the properties that match that criteria. Um, so yeah, that's what we're looking for as well, Scott. I'll just, I'll just may as well say it. Um, you know, get the plug in whilst I can, mate. Um, you know, if anybody's looking to come and invest in property, even if you've ever, even if you just want to chat about it, I don't mind coming on the phone. We can sit for half an hour, forty-five minutes, an hour, as long as you need for me to answer your questions and just have a chat about it. Let's yeah. have a chat. Where, where, where would, if somebody was going to want to reach out, you know, I've talked about LinkedIn. Where is the best place for people to find you? If they're going to, if they want to have some form of conversation with you, best best place is LinkedIn. It's Reese Devlin, Reese spelled R W E C E. Devlin's the usual way. Um, you can go on my Instagram as well, Reese Devlin one, and Facebook is Reese Devlin. You'll be able to see me. Um, I think I'm pretty much the number one Reese Devlin, and when you search it, <laughs> so. <laughs> talking about branding and all the rest of it. You know, Reese, like I say, I I am. One of the reasons why um, I wanted to do this is because there are so many people, business owners included, that are, you know, um, thinking they're in this big fight themselves and they don't really, some people don't have a clue what to do. Some people have got it, you know, figured out in a, in a better way. Um, but th there is so much good quality people out there like CSL that are doing good business, that are trying new things, are, are, are up for trying new things, partnerships, networking, doing deals. Um, and instead of hearing just all the fucking bullshit that we see about the virus and all the rest of it all the time online and everywhere, I would rather have this type of conversation. And I'm so glad that we've managed to not really, apart from a couple of bits, even talk about this fucking uh, COVID-19 and all this. That's exactly it, mate. And just completely, business-wise, I'm sick of hearing it. Like, uh -huh. people bitching and moaning about it, man. I mean, look at me. I'm, don't look at me. I'm not, I'm not saying that. It's not, not what I mean, but... Look at my day-to-day, -day, you know, it's, it's not as if my business has stopped. Yeah. Yes, I can get out and physically buy property, but I'm doing the groundwork right now and getting the investors and getting the investors comfy so that when I get the green light that my lawyers and my mortgage brokers can get the deals over the line, we'll be off to the races and we will earn together frightening money. Yeah. That's, the, that's the main goal with everybody I bring in. Absolutely. Well, well, Sadly, it's the truth, though, that uh, normally, uh, well, not normally, it's been proven over the generations that people make the most money 
in times or likes of these sort of crises and, and, and just after these types of crises. So that's proven. Um, unfortunately, there will be there will be losers, um, but there's always winners. Yes. There's always a trade-off. There's always, you know, if something works for one, it's not going to work for another. That's just life. So, Reese, you know what? Thanks so much for, for sharing some of your thoughts. Thanks, mate, for having us. I'm glad to speak to, you know, a young guy who's out there fucking really pushing hard to to create a really great business and to learn and, and, and to go into a, an industry which has got a lot of great potential in it. So well done you.